Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth, discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. So glad to be here this morning. So, uh, before we dig into the word this morning, let me bring you up to date with what's happening facility-wise. So, um, most, many of you know, if you don't, we own a piece of property a couple of miles that way, six acres, which we have closed on and is ours. And we are moving full speed ahead with um, getting the next steps in a long process to get our building up. Um, so, it's a several-year process, but we are... Um, headed that way. Our intention has been to be in this building, and we our lease was actually over the 31st of July, five-year lease that we had on this building, ended technically the 31st of July. You'll now know it's August 5th. So, so our intention and our discussion with the landlord has always been that we would stay here for the interim period and try to work out a, uh, an arrangement. That became clear about 10 days ago that that just wasn't going to work. What's happened is that a dance studio has contracted for this entire space, including these rooms. And so we were going to try to kind of live together, um, but, but there was just no way to do it. It just, it just was not going to work. We, we tried, we talked, and we, you know, see what we could do to make it happen. But we just became aware um, about 10 days ago that it just it just wasn't going to happen. And so, as always, you're like, okay, Lord, you know me, I'm not the change guy. It's not, but okay, Lord, so what are you doing? Because, again, if we're God's church and we're God's people, then this is God's facility, right? He can do that. And so, so um, we are, uh, because I don't have anything signed, and my father was an attorney, and he said, don't talk about anything till it's signed, I, I, I'm going to hesitate but, uh, to, to, to give you specifics, but I'm hopeful within about few, a uh, few days, we will have signed a lease for an interim period at a really, really great facility that's going to just provide for us just some amazing things. I'm really, uh, really, really pleased. Until we have it all done, but we have extended here through August. Our landlord was gracious enough to go ahead and give us a month to do that, but we will, at the end of August, be transitioning. So I want to give change-averse people like myself a few weeks heads up to know. For some of you, it will be closer. For some of you, it will be a little bit further. It it shouldn't be more than about 10 minutes further for anyone, 10 to to 12 minutes further for anyone. Um, So when when all that is said and done, buttoned up, you'll get there'll be an email going out. We'll announce it here, Lord willing, next Sunday. I, I really think we're within a day or so of getting it finalized. So the suspension mounts. 
right? The curtain will go up, but uh, I do want to give notice of that. This has been a wonderful uh, place for us to be. It, it, it certainly has come with challenges. For those of you who've been on the inside of some of the dealings, there's certainly been challenges, but you know, we were at, uh, we started at the Wonderland Daycare Center, which is now the Montessori School on Heathcote. If any of you came to any of those services, there were dragons on the walls. We were able to put about 30 chairs in a lobby. So wherever we go, you know, praise God, right? We've moved there to the little Mexican restaurant, which many of you attended for seven years when we met just down the road here attached. We weren't in the Mexican restaurant. We were, we were a little 90-seat facility attached to it, and then we've been here for five years. So we've had these three homes, and, and we've been in homes, and we've been all over. So God, you know, God is perfectly capable of, of doing, and now our own facility kind of underway. So on that note, this is a perfect segue, because we are going to be asking um, in a few weeks that you would have prayed about. We've given... Um, some details, please go to livinghopepc.org. There's lots of details about the building and what we're trying to do. But we're going to need to know how much we can afford. I mean, just flat out. You don't, you don't start a project until you know. And so we need you to have prayed about and, and asked, what would I give to this? And for some of you, we know, uh, you know, you, you may be able to give, a, you know, $5 a week or whatever. Praise the Lord. We're not, but, but this is out. It's either our building or it's not, right? So if it's ours, then we together as a family build this. So we need to know that. Please be aware of that. I mean, I I was going to talk this morning a little bit about what a facility, and we will talk about what a facility will allow us to do that we can't do in a rental. There are some a lot of things. Right now it provides stability. I'll just tell you the first and foremost is that you, you don't get... We're not getting kicked out, I shouldn't say that, because provision has been allowed for if we want it to stay, but it was just going to be very, very difficult for us to do what we've done in any sense. Stability is a good thing. So um, anyway, enough said about that. We are, you know, um, I've heard, yes. Sorry, sidebar, Your Honor. I haven't gotten agreement on that yet. All right. The judge says we can maintain the posture here. Okay. So um, I, I understand when you build a building, you're supposed to preach through Nehemiah. That's what I've been told, that when you build, you know, arise and build the wall around Jerusalem. I went to the Lord and said, okay, Lord, is it Nehemiah? And he said, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities? Nothing matters? Why the heck build a building if nothing matters? He said, no, you're going to find Jesus in Ecclesiastes. You're going to find the Lord. And so we're going to dig in to Ecclesiastes. And uh, I'm really excited. I really am. Um, if you've got your Bible, while she read from Proverbs, stick your finger in Proverbs chapter 1 because we're going to go back. But we're going to um, look at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which follows Proverbs. So if you don't know where it is, just... Uh, Find Psalms or then Proverbs and take a right, a brief right, and you'll find Ecclesiastes. So when I, when I think about this book, I've never preached through it. I, I, I hesitate to say I've, I've read it a number of times, but I've never actually studied it like I would like to. We didn't actually study it in seminary. We read through it and we talked about it, but more, very briefly. And, um, 
my impression of it, again, was what I just said, is that it's not a book that fits my theology because I like he came to bring me life and life more abundantly. That's, you know, that's sort of my, Jesus came to bring us that. When I read, at least on the surface of it, we start Ecclesiastes 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises, sun goes down, wind blows to the south, bloody, bloody, blah. It just seems like, verse 8 sort of summates it for me, all things are full of weariness. A man can't utter it. The eye isn't satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So is this book just saying, "Ah, this too shall pass. It'll all, you know, it doesn't, nothing means anything. Seems somehow not to resonate with me with what I know of the God who created everything to matter. And so as we've gone through this, as we're going to unpack this book, I want us to find, because I think what this book really teaches is that Jesus makes everything matter. But under this sun, without him, it is all really pointless. I think that's what we're going to find. So let's dive into this. The, the book is said to have been written by Solomon because of these opening lines where it says, the preacher, the words of the preacher, the Hebrew word for that is kobelet. It looks like you'll see it sometimes if it's transliterated. It, it's kind of a funny spelling, Q-O-H-E-L-E-T-H. We would sort of say kohaleth, but it's, it's pronounced kobelet in the, in, the, um, in the Hebrew. And that word is a, a word that basically means one who preaches at a gathering or one who speaks to a gathering. Kohel, the, the word there is just, is a gathering. That's the Hebrew w- root word for when people get together. And it's the name of someone who would speak. To, so they've trans, translated it preacher. It's not necessarily like we would think of. And that word, if you take the Latin and the Greek, ecclesiastical, we think of church stuff. That's where we get ecclesiastes. They've taken that kobolet and they've put it into the Greek and Hebrew and it becomes ecclesiastes. So, while it's traditionally thought that Solomon wrote that book, there's some reasons to think that maybe it was written after and somebody was speaking on behalf of Solomon because he's the guy with it all. He's the, the, the Jeff Bezos or the Steve Jobs, well, Steve Jobs dead, but, but Bill Gates, or he's the guy that had the, had everything. He, Solomon had the wisdom. He had the wealth. He had the power. And so they, they think that Somebody was writing because he was considered the pinnacle of what humans can attain to. And so we'll, we'll see as we go through the book why scholars think that. But whether Solomon wrote it or not is irrelevant in terms of the words that he speaks and the message that he gives us is firmly in this wisdom literature. There are five books in the Bible, a little backup history lesson, five books in the Bible are considered wisdom books or poetical books. Okay, Psalms, right? Proverbs, which is kind of the prime.
primary wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job that we just studied. Those five are considered wisdom books or political books because they have lots and lots of poems and imagery and songs, and they're different from the epistles or the histories or the Torah or whatever. They're just different, and so they, they classify them themselves, and we need to, to understand a little bit about wisdom literature to understand Ecclesiastes. With that being said, please turn to Proverbs chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, and we look at wisdom literature for just a minute. So we live in a day where people, uh, we have lots and lots of information at our fingertips, don't we? Way too much sometimes, right? But a lot of people have said we have more information and less wisdom because wisdom is knowing what to do with information. So just because you can find stuff on the Internet or other places doesn't make you wise, right? It makes you informed, Right? But the, the Bible has a very particular thing. It's not the what information or how much information you get. This is the purpose of wisdom literature, is really what, what uh, Tori read this morning. It's to know wisdom, verse 2 of Proverbs 1, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. The Bible wants to, in these wisdom books, give us understanding of how to live. Knowledge is fine to have, information is fine to have, but it is knowing what to do with that. In, look, at, look at these things. These aren't words that typically, when we think of smart people today, or our world would tend to say smart and wise kind of interchangeably, but the Bible doesn't. To give righteousness, justice, and equity, or, or fairness. This is what we're, we're trying to learn, to give prudence to the simple. So that even if, like, your mental capacity, what we would call an IQ, wasn't that high, you can be incredibly wise biblically. You can have prudence. So it's not a matter of becoming smarter. It's a matter of knowing the foundation of wisdom, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So it doesn't matter. You can be very young. I know very, very foolish old people. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I see one. I, I think I, I, I know very wise young people. Youth is not a thing. Well, when you're old, you'll be wise. No, maybe not. It's no guarantee, is it? You can, you can be the product of years and years of bitter, godless living and be what the Bible calls a fool, even as a very well-educated person and, and one who's older in years. Let the wise hear, in verse 5, and increase in learning. There's a constant increase available in learning. We can never have acquired all wisdom. But the, the one who understands obtains guidance. Now, this is really important. Because how many of you would like to know, well, honey, what should we do about this? You know, what, how should we act? How do we obtain guidance? James 1 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, right, we ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. This echoes Proverbs. You can understand, become one of understanding and obtain guidance because you understand how to live. And then in verse 6, you understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and their riddles. So I'm not very good at riddles. I just get fooled all the time by these little word plays and stuff. And this is, sometimes you read things in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or others, and they just don't seem to make sense. But when you 
fear the Lord, when you understand, you begin to become wiser. So we think of Proverbs when you, you know we we've all learned, or many of us have learned, you know, a stitch in time does what? Saves nine, right? We've learned, and that's a proverb. That's a traditional proverb that basically says, "Don't rush when you're working," right? But is it always true in every circumstance? The proverb isn't necessarily always true, right? You can say, um, "He who hesitates is lost," but look before you leap. So, should you hesitate or should you leap first? Well, it depends, doesn't it? If the lion's behind you and about to bite you, I mean, he who hesitates is lost, right? But if you're not sure if you can make it across the river, you better look before you leap. So it's dependent, right? If at first you don't succeed, don't parachute. That's really, that's a good proverb. That's a joke. That's a joke. Boy, that, if at first you don't succeed, don't take a parachuting. Forget it. Y'all are, that's just terrible. All right. So, Wisdom literature helps us figure things out, but you learn to figure things out as you he- the Spirit of God applies things in context. Here's uh, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 is just a perfect example of this. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. 4 says, Don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. So are these commands? Because you can't do both at the same time. No, they both, you'll do both depending on the circumstance and situation. So this is wisdom literature, and this is going to help us. I do this as prep for Ecclesiastes, because if you read Ecclesiastes as a series of promises from God, you're misreading it. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. And we're going to see that where the Proverbs of Solomon... In, in chapter 1, verse 7, and uh, it's echoed again in chapter 9, where he says, the beginning of knowledge is, or wisdom, in this case used interchangeably, the, begin, the fear of the Lord, beginning. What does that mean? Let me give you a definition of the fear of the Lord, because it's, you know, there's a lot of ways we could slice it. So it's more than just respecting God. There is definitely a sense of um, more than just we, we, we think he's a you know kind of guy who should deserve a little bit of reverence. Here's, what, here's how I define the fear of the Lord. A continuing, a continual awareness that I live in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God. If you truly believe that you live always right with you in the presence of a, of a God who is holy, just, and almighty, you will fear the Lord. You will have an appropriate. You won't be afraid of him for punishment, but you won't treat him like a buddy either. Matthew 10.28, Jesus says, don't fear those who can destroy only the body. Fear the Lord who can destroy both body and soul. There is an awesome, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There is more than just a, yeah, I think he's, he's a powerful guy. It's we live in his presence. But you live in his presence if you know him as his child. And that makes all the difference. So this is where Proverbs starts with attaining wisdom. Back to Ecclesiastes. Quick, to the right. Back to Ecclesiastes. Because Koaleth, the preacher, does not begin there. He's going to end there. He's going to begin 
where many people start in this day and age, whether you're a humanist or an atheist or even an agnostic, they start and they look at the situations around them and they say, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. And so I believe the preacher is stepping into the shoes of someone who looks at situations and says, uh, what? How can this be? How, how can this make sense? I think he's speaking to people. There's a famous atheist named Bertrand Russell who taught at Cambridge, has written a lot. Very smart guy in the world's terms. Let me read you a little quote that he wrote. This is so enlightening. Bertrand Russell wrote this. Purposeless, void of meaning is the world which science presents for our belief. Amid such a world, if anywhere, our ideals must find a home. To say that man, his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves, his beliefs, are but the outcome of accidental location of atoms, there is no heroism, no intensity of thought or feeling, nothing that can preserve the life of an individual beyond the grave, all the labors, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the brightness of human genius are designed and destined for extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things are beyond dispute. No philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand only within the scaffolding of this truth, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can we find our souls safely built. This, this, is, this guy is a pinnacle of thinking. If you, you just read Bertrand Russell, you, Google Bertrand Russell, you will see he's a Nobel Prize winner. This, and you know what? Without God, he saw it clearly. He absolutely sees it clearly, which is, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Meaninglessness of meaninglessness, it is all meaningless. This guy would be considered a, a, a truly a genius, a groundbreaking thinker. And he said, unless we build, did you hear that? On complete despair that there's any meaning in it, we're fooling ourselves. By the way, he suffered with depression. I don't say that to be funny necessarily. I say that that's a pretty logical conclusion to me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it is foolishness to the world. And yet it is the salvation of our souls because I believe there are only two logical conclusions to this life. Bertrand Russell's, the utter despair of total meaninglessness or that there is truly a God of purpose who created you and loves you beyond all measure and has for you an eternal destiny that matters. I think those are the only two options. I think we fool ourselves into thinking, well, there's probably not a God, but all this matters. The preacher here, long before Bertrand Russell wrote, I think said it well. Now, we think of vanity as sort of egotism, right? Vanity is looking in the mirror and going, oh, I'm really good looking. It's not that. That's not vanity, right, in, in terms of what the Bible. Hevel, the word there, is literally um, mist, smoke, breath. That's what it's saying. So, give you a little thing here. So, here's what, he, here's what the preacher is saying. Here's your life, right? Everything you accomplish 
with this phrase, remember this phrase, we're going to come back to it next week and throughout, under the sun. Remember that phrase, under the sun, here. Without God, but under the S-U-N, right? Here it is. Wait for it. Watch quickly. This is your life. The total sum of every good thing you've ever done, every dollar you've ever made, every decision, every um, thing you've ever owned, every um, thing you've ever done in your life, apart from what you've done in faith in God, right? Apart from, apart from everything. Here it is. Hebel, vanity. Hold on. It's pretty good. You're having a long play. It's a long road, right? That's it. All those hours you spent worrying, all that anger you let, all that unforgiveness. That's it. You had a long run, man. Was that about five seconds? Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. What Ecclesiastes is going to do is drive us to Jesus because I don't know about you, but I don't want this to be my life. I want my life to be a firm substance that matters forever that I present solid gold to my Savior. Not a breath that I... Where is it? I mean, a physicist will tell you I think it's there somewhere, right? It never really goes away, but I don't want to count on that. preview for next week, he's going to talk about four areas of the futility. If we make these four things of ultimate importance to us, wisdom, so interesting that he starts with, if we make wisdom, not godly wisdom, wisdom under the sun, we'll see what that means next week. If we make that being um, know-it-all, we know everything. We're the highest and best. If we make wealth, if we make moral uprightness, if we make hard work, the ultimate goals. Interestingly enough, all four of those things are godly attributes and are things that God blesses us with often. Wisdom, wealth, good moral choices, and hard work are often, they are godly things, but when they're turned into ultimate things, they become breath become vanity, or other translations say futility. Don't want to end on a, on a downer, so we're going to go to the first high point, I think, the, one of the high points of this book. And um, if you'll look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'm going to jump back next week and cover the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2. But I want to look because after he begins to lay out what life looks like, speaking as Solomon, speaking as one who had it all. He says this, chapter 3, verse 11. He has made, or God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Interesting, why? 
See, we're image bearers of God. That's what the Bible says, is that you were created in his image so that you and I have within us a sense of eternity. And even people who don't know God, they have within them this sense there must be more. They want it to be true. People want the gospel, something like the gospel, to be true, that their lives matter. And in that, we also know the limits of man, that we're not going to know the full range. We're not going to become little gods or God at all. But we're going to be able to understand. Look what it says. We can enjoy life to the full because he's made everything beautiful in its time. We won't know the story from the beginning to the end. But we have a sense we're not just, as Bertram Russell said, just a location of atoms. The vanity that he's going to talk about stands in direct contrast to the enduring work of God. We're going to end with this in verse 14. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. What we do without God is a breath. What God does endures forever. Here's the miracle. God does through you if you allow Him to live in you. Then you matter because He has eternal, enduring things for you to do. And then you can work meaningfully, have wealth that you can give and share, that you can make moral choices that then reflect Him, that you can then have wisdom that is godly wisdom. It's all there. It all matters because of the Lord in us. This morning, I think it's very appropriate that we would share the Lord's Supper because in a moment where it would seem like the work of God didn't matter at all, because here he is going to a cross and getting crucified after spending these three years of ministry and 33 on the earth. And in man's terms, it would seem that he was just another breath, just another vapor gone in a minute. And yet the wisdom of God, so much wiser than what men would think, what a fool to do what Jesus did and it stands as the most enduring, lasting event in the history of mankind. There is nothing comparable to the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we celebrate this morning that which endures forever. Because on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took a cup of wine, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink this, every one of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So we take this bread and this wine, Lord, knowing that in doing so we proclaim your death to this world until you come again. And that the most substantial act 
ever done by a human. God in human form was done, Lord, to distinguish us from that which is vapor, that which passes away. The mercy and glory of the Lord endure forever, so we're taught in the Psalms. And so, Lord, we celebrate that which is substantial and forever. And we get to partake. So you are invited to this meal. You're invited to this table if you believe in Jesus Christ. Come having confessed your sin. Come with a clear conscience knowing that you are fully accepted. If you're weak, come to this table. If you are in need, come to this table. But don't come standing upon your own righteousness, but come trusting in His. These are the gifts of God. They are for the people of God. So take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful.